Want to have your very own free-range egg farming business? Welcome to Green Grass Egg Farming Podcast with Daniel O'Brien, the show dedicated to giving you the latest tips, ideas and interviews to help you produce the best-tasting free-range eggs and sell your eggs for the highest price. And here's your host, Daniel O'Brien. Daniel O'Brien from Greengrass Egg Farming. Welcome back. Today I have Tom from Tom's Paddock. Welcome to the call. Thank you very much, Daniel. How are you going? Very well, very well. I, I do appreciate you being on the call today. And I wanted to, to talk a bit about your journey. Um, we've known each other for a few years now. And, um, and I think you've got a, a great story of how you had a farm and then you've brought chickens in. So do you want to take us back to where you were at on the farm before you had chickens and, and create a bit of context? Sure. Yep. Yeah, so I guess, um, well, it depends how far you want to go back, uh, Daniel. <laughs> when I was talking to people and taking them through the farm, I, I often start about uh, 400 million years ago. Okay. <laughs> where um, the actual soil on our property was um, was developed. So it's a, it's a Devonian period. Um, and it's that's a pretty fascinating kind of history. We might talk about that a bit later. So my grandparents really that um that bought the property here in Glenburn in uh, Victoria about 80 kilometers northeast of Melbourne just over the dividing range from uh, the Yarra Valley and um yeah it was a bush block ostensibly um and one or two paddocks had been cleared and then um they proceeded to to yeah to clear the uh the property very sympathetically to the environment for um, cattle breeding, which was quite uh, unusual at the time. We're talking around um, early 60s. So they left uh, really significant tracts of remnant vegetation and also covenanted those areas. So um, they're on the title as uh, with Trust for Nature and should be there as remnant, um, remnant ecology, you know, for perpetuity, hopefully. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then my mother inherited the property and she, um, she was really interested again in conservation and, uh, increased some of those areas, um, to kind of strengthen the resilience in the, in the, um, the ecology on the property and continued the uh, beef herd. I, uh, went off and did a, a mechanical engineering degree <laughs> at Melbourne University. And um, yeah, by the time I kind of got to towards the graduating end, I, I I decided not to do it anymore. Pretty much, I just didn't really want to work in that area. So um, yeah, I came back to the property and uh, stuffed around for a little bit <laughs> for okay. about a year. Yeah, I had some interesting jobs. Um, one of which was uh, was uh, what's well, technically called uh, milking salmon um <laughs> which is over at the rubicon river so a, a an atlantic salmon farm over there um it's quite a quite a interesting picture to think of but about maybe 10 guys and a, a couple of girls too uh standing around a table gently massaging uh fish that we we we'd netted out of ponds and expressing the the the, the caviar um 
so yes, yeah, so I, I I wandered around doing a couple of different things for a while, and came back to the farm then to try and work out how I was going to make a living there. Yeah, so what became pretty apparent early on was um, the beef herd on the kind of the area of land that we had available to us um, was not going to generate an additional income for me. So, so what sort of area, like some of the land is, is uh, conservation, then you've got grazing yeah. paddocks. So what sort of area of grazing paddocks are we sort of talking about here? Yeah, so the total, the total property size is, uh, do you want to talk in acres or hectares? I generally talk hectares. So hectares about are great. Yeah, about 135 hectare property, total size. Um, and around um, now, around 65%. Uh, sorry, 65 hectares of that is um, is, is primary agriculture in the form of, of grazing country. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So about half, and um, yeah, that that other half is uh, is just something that's quite unique these days, which is the the actual uh, remnant bush that was there, you know, f- forever, which is yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so 65 uh, hectares, and we probably ran uh, at a rate of around. Around a cow calf per hectare, maybe a little bit under. Yeah, so so it was a, it was a time when um, I was doing some, just some kind of searching around, trying to figure out how 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 was I going to be able to stay here and uh, help my mother with the farm work, but also you know earn a, earn a living here. Uh, we looked at buying property in the area. Very difficult to do. Um, yeah, the real estate uh, pressure around here is pretty pretty heavy. It's pretty hard to buy a, a property and you know be able to make a return just in grazing uh, livestock here. Yep. So yeah, um, that was really when I uh, was introduced to a, an American farmer called Joel Salatin. He um, came out and spoke at an event for the uh, the Goulburn Valley CMA. And he, he, some of his ideas about um, regenerative agriculture in, in the form of stacking animals on top of the, of, of the same kind of pastoral um, environment really struck a chord with me. And, uh, yeah, I got 30 chickens uh, pretty much a week after hearing him talk. Okay. And I'd, I'd kind of I'd, um, built a little, a little mobile poultry hut in a uh, an eight by five cage trailer, and uh, yeah, that's kind of the start of Tom's Paddock, as it were, the uh, the egg side of the business, which is which has grown to around um, well, around thirteen fifty birds now. Yeah, okay. So, how long ago were, did you have those thirty chickens? Yes, yeah, so we're talking uh, late two thousand and nine. So let's say seven years. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what? So you you got you're all inspired. You've seen Joel Salatin. You've gone home. You've made a you made a coop. You got thirty chooks. W- what was the next progression after that? Like, did you get eggs straight away, or were they sort of young? And you had to grow them up. Yeah. So I I, I raised them from day olds, and um, that that's what I've all, always done. Um, and yeah. So you so just. Yeah, the five month wait certainly. I mean, we and also Daniel, we're talking from a zero of about zero capital at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. A really, really uh, small, small kind of scale, and and doing doing what I could myself again. Uh, yeah. So 
know, salvaging uh, bits and pieces and and a, uh, a a trailer from my dad actually from his building business. So, um, yeah, really slow, really um, really uh, low risk, and that was important for me. Yeah. So um, yeah, well, so I, I I kept adding chickens to the system. Um, I got up to about eighty chooks in that trailer, and they they were pretty happy to to pile in. Um, together and roost roost in that five by uh, eight trailer, and um, yeah, I'm getting customers too at this point. So I'm getting eggs uh, in a in a, a natural uh, material nesting kind of system, and yeah, I did get some customers and one actually fairly big customer for me, and I thought, oh, this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit bigger. So I I did then actually buy some point of weight pullets about 50 and that that jumped the egg numbers up quite a bit yeah um and then yeah i i also then was thinking well this this trailer's not really big enough so what am i going to do next you know and I, I i um was driving home one day and uh saw on the side of the road a stunning little uh 17 foot kind of 70s era uh caravan a blue horizon type thing Yep. And uh, you had a little sign on it, you know. I think it was only maybe a hundred dollars for that. It was a rolling wreck, but you know, it had beautiful floral uh, um, lino on the walls inside. And I thought, oh, the chickens are going to love this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I I ripped the guts out of it. I just pulled the, all the internal walls, all the floor out, absolutely everything, pretty much out of the inside. Put some roosts in there, some nest boxes. Um, and the floor research so the poo could fall through. And, um, yeah, it lasts about six months, Daniel. Okay. <laughs> Before it just completely fell apart. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I tried, you know, I'd taken all the instru- internal uh, structure out. You'd think a mechanical engineer <laughs> or a graduate mechanical engineer would have known better, but oh, well. Yeah. So, yeah, so I despaired a little bit for a while there because I had, I had, you know, I had uh, probably about um, – nearly 300 chooks on the property at this stage. Okay. And uh, I did um, think I could use my degree a little bit more to my advantage and design a trailer. This was before I'd heard about uh, Chicken Caravan. And, yeah, it was around kind of 2011, I'd say, at this point. And so I did design something I thought was pretty pretty whiz-bang and took it to a trailer manufacturer and they – they were um they shocked me a bit <laughs> by okay. telling me. Yeah. They shocked me by telling me that yeah, it was gonna probably cost around fifty grand to get a prototype built. And uh that was a little bit steep for little old Tom at that point. Yeah, wow. So um yeah, I despaired for a little while. I thought oh, I'll just get more um we'll get more caravans, old caravans and uh try to turn them into something that I can use. But, um, yeah, luckily enough, I think it was probably three or four months later, actually, I came across the uh, chicken caravan, um, you know, your 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 trailer. And um, I could just see that it had been made by people who who were actually doing it, you know. At this yeah. point, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd built up a little bit of knowledge about chickens and their habits, what you really need from a, from a mobile trailer. So save my bacon a bit. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, fast forward, uh, I've got yeah three trailers now, and and a lot of chickens on my hands, and a lot of eggs this time of year. 
<laughs> so how do you run those three trailers? Are they all in one flock or two or three separate flocks? Yeah, so the, the it's evolving a little bit, as as I think all good farming systems should be allowed to. Um, so at the moment, I do have two flocks. Um, so one flock with two trailers in it, and that, that's the uh, 2017 flock. Yeah. Um, a little, uh, well, a, a portion of the 2016 flock is still on the farm, and they're in the other trailer in the other flock. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of roll them. I roll them out. Um, this kind of process here of, of rolling the chooks as I raise them from day old. Still, um, batches kind of go into the current year's flock and uh, out of the previous year's flock as we kind of need. Yeah. Okay. So you've got so you've got two flocks on the ground at the moment. Do you sometimes have three flocks because you've got some young chicks and then you've got yeah. two flocks out the paddock? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm kind of talking about laying birds as yeah. such, but yeah, there'd definitely be uh, um, a series of, of, of uh, younger birds in, in different systems too. So yeah, so I, you know, that three week period under heat uh, in a static environment in a, in a shed in a little, that's actually my grandparents' old chook house. Um, and then they also say so three weeks, then they move into a uh, an adjacent shed that's a uh, concrete floor again with um, wood, wood chips on top so nice and easy to clean it out once the uh, chicks chicks have um, had their time there another two weeks there and then within that probably five to six week um, old they then go out into a mobile uh, hutch that's um, got aerial protection so aerial predators are probably the biggest problem for um, for young younger birds because they're small yeah so, eagles and uh, small harriers and Small falcons, but also owls as well. We found in the past that like to have a go for the young birds. So um yeah, so there's a lot of chickens uh, everywhere, I have to say, Daniel. Yeah. But in terms of the laying kind of part of the business, uh, yeah, probably no more than two flocks, and sometimes only one. Yeah. Okay. So what was the journey? You you, you had your thirty chickens, and you started selling eggs, and you increased. Did you increase because demand increased or you just wanted more chickens? How did that progression go from the marketing and selling eggs side? Yeah, so it's definitely kind of an organic process of um, finding customers uh, slowly and getting myself out there fairly slowly. Um, and that, that was to do with um, just investment. I'm fairly risk averse when it comes to debt. Uh, so I did want to keep things um, entirely under my control, um, and but yeah, it also just the, exploring the market and letting the market kind of work as it as it wanted to, trying to trying to probe into it and just find where the where the where the sweet spot is um, in terms of yeah how many eggs uh, I should be producing, and I also um I do imagine having uh, other people kind of on the farm doing things. Um, definitely in the future, but at this point, it's just me as well. So, also just um, working out how much I can take on in terms of, um, you know, uh, planning my day. Yes. <laughs> in yeah. in winter down here, we also have, we don't get a lot of daylight. Um, so that uh, that is also a bit of a concern. There's plenty of plenty of daylight in summer, <laughs> but um, yeah, you got to think about your your leaner times too. So. Um, yeah, but definitely I just wanted it to kind of, um, 
develop itself, and that's that's been the, that's kind of been the case. I started off you know, going to cafes and giving them samples, um, but I'm at a point now where people are actually finding us through word and mouth. So, um, and that's really where I'd like to be. I'm not the I'm not the best marketer. <laughs> okay. And I don't really like doing it. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a good situation at the moment with some people searching us out, which is lovely. Yeah, right. So I, I find that interesting. You you don't call yourself a marketer, but you're at a a stage now where that they're calling you. So in some ways, you you don't necessarily have to be a, a brilliant marketer to start a farm and get out there and sell eggs no i don't you know definitely don't have to be brilliant uh you do have to put in some some legwork um yeah and kind of face up to to that uh thing of loving your what well you know talking about your product but if you love it uh, i think that does make marketing easier and i certainly uh certainly do love the um the chickens and the eggs that we um you know produce we feel pretty good about them i think that makes the marketing job uh a lot easier yeah but you do have to do quite a bit of legwork if you want to have a small farm yeah which is certainly the way we'd like to remain um you just uh it's not about um i mean it's all about margin but we we require quite a large margin so we're um i'm i'm trying to get really into the uh the highest uh, bracket of egg egg um egg that i can produce and sell so um yeah, it does does require a bit of work, but um, that's small business for you, isn't it? Yeah, that that's right. So with the the cattle coming onto the landscape yeah. and the 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 chickens and and the soil and the grasses and trees, yeah, how does that work together on your farm? Because one thing I yeah. do like about your farm, you've got these these nature corridors, so you, you haven't just gone, hey, let's clear this thing from fence to fence and just put cattle or just put wheat. You've got, like I've seen on your Facebook page, you've got echidnas and uh, yeah, all, all sorts of um, bird species yeah. and such. Yeah, so biodiversity on on farms, I reckon, is really critical. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's that um, that building soil thing is really where we where we end up here with the cattle as well. The cattle are really good at building soil. I think you spoke to someone perhaps about cell grazing um, last year, and all of those things are absolutely uh, absolutely right. So. Um, the animal is 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 like the tool basically that we use to um, to manipulate the plant into feeding the soil and creating more soil. Um, in terms of the the kind of the um, the, the 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 strong um, remnant vegetation areas, there, there are a lot of services actually there. So um, we do get edge effects where you know the, the wind is um, is definitely dispersed a bit, and the, so some good stock sheltering, which is just a physical kind of um, benefit. Yep. Also, um, we do have a a species of native wasp that kind of barbarically will go out into the paddock. It's actually a nectar-eating wasp, so you need some nectar for it to survive. Um, but it will go out into your paddocks and collect cockchafer beetle larvae yeah <laughs> yeah brings it back to the nest and it lays eggs on these little poor little uh, grubs which we don't like really because they chew on your root system right people yeah. are spraying to try and get rid of these things 
uh, spraying insect insecticides. But this little wasp, well, yeah, goes and gets them and uh, takes them back to the nest and lays its eggs on them. <laughs> and the uh, yeah, the grub unfortunately lives on and the eggs hatch and they eat it alive. But um, okay. <laughs> that's, that's quite a nice little service there that's happening because the the wasp has somewhere to live. Yes, um, and that is that that uh, that remnant ecology, the full ecology, and a and a, and a great biodiversity. Uh, lots and lots of bird life here on the farm, which is lovely too. Seventy um, percent of Australian birds live in the understory, so not actually in the canopies. So um, that that low lying shrubs and uh, yeah, yeah um, the low lying uh, understory is critical for our bird life, which then again will, you know, um, maintain a, balance, a good balance in terms of insects. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of benefits, um, and it's just uh, it's difficult to put that in economic terms somehow. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where kind of, uh, you know, that's where economics is and absolutely everything we're focused on here. So um, yeah. it's more of a, a kind of total whole uh approach or yeah looking at the whole yeah well it's hard to measure when you've got um a wasp coming in and grabbing that bug yeah, exactly that yeah. could have <laughs> potentially eaten some roots and then put yeah, less yeah. pasture on the ground and then you go well hang on if i sprayed synthetic fertilizer or like insecticide to get rid of that and then what are all yeah. the the other concerns of spraying There's a little leap of the... leap of faith there but yeah. i guess the um the the other thing with sex of course, is you're going to damage the uh, microbiology biological yeah. population you saw, and that's a big no-no for us. So, yeah, um, yeah. I I like to think about these things. Whether I, you know, um, whether I would uh, rely on them as such, no, probably not. But um, yeah, I think there's, it's a good thing to think about, certainly. Yeah, and, and understand everything. Um can have side effects so it, it, may, yeah, it right. may be great today but its consequences tomorrow next week next year could be oh my goodness i shouldn't have done yeah. that yeah so. that's right and so the fertility program comes from the soil fertility program comes from using our animals in a certain way um so 24-hour rotational grazing with the cattle and um short quick moves with the chooks and covering well we're a little bit limited with um some of our hills but um about 40, 40 hectares of that 65 hectares the chooks cover in about six months too. So yeah, right. longest periods. Um, but all those things mean that, um, you know, we're not reliant on um, on synthetic fertilisers and also um, herbicides because they, we're using the cattle also to to um, manage our, any weed problems we might have. Yeah. So you move your cattle every day? Yes. Yep. Yep. Every day. Um I mean, sometimes in certain seasons, I try to. I, I need them to be moving a bit quicker, and um, I might leave them say a couple of days and move them just fast. Um, yeah. But yeah, if, if we're trying to conserve feed and actually get them to do some landscape functioning, so that's where we have them in a really tight mob um, with with uh, very high stock density. Um, then yeah, certainly around that 12, 24 hour period, I reckon is a good time frame for me in terms of how much how much work I can do with them. Um, I do know people who are doing uh, you know maybe six moves a day, Daniel. So yeah, wow. Um, we're trying to mimic again uh, this the natural grassland kind of system where you do have massive herds moving 
with a lot of um, pressure on the grasses, but also also always moving on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 24 hours seems to be manageable for for me, and we're seeing some good results out there in terms of the um, the species diversity in the pasture sward and uh, just the the growth rates we're getting. Um, I mean, things are really shooting out of the ground at the moment here. Yeah. So how often uh, do do you move your chickens? Yeah, so the chickens, um, uh, I move every two days pretty much, two to three days, so three times a week. Um, uh, that's that's quite a personal thing. I think it's going to be different on every farm. Um, yeah. I feel that, that that kind of system works well for me. Uh, I don't want to move the trailer inside the area where they are, so we, as most... Um, mobile poultry farmers are doing at the moment or these days is using um, electro netting so an electric perimeter fence to keep foxes out uh, that area is about 200 so it's a quarter of a hectare 200 2500 square meters yeah and yeah two two to three days there will give me around three tons of chukpu per hectare under the trailer which is quite a lot um, again, I don't want to overload the uh, soil microbes. We want them to be able to metabolize and get that chukpu back into the uh, nutrient cycle in a timely manner. So, yeah, so I, I move the whole flock physically um, instead of just moving the trailer inside the area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So where um, where the chickens have been on your farm, what difference have you seen from when you had no chickens to now because obviously those chickens have been over over that land for several years now and put down a lot of kilos of manure and scratched around and been involved in the cell grazing what's the pasture difference well i see very um it's very responsive to chupu certainly if it's going down onto a, on in the growing season it's quite remarkable how the um plant the the pasture and I say pasture because we're really going for quite a number of species of um, plants so herbs and forbs as well um, they really respond vigorously um, in that kind of year but I think in the long term um, yes there will be a, a, a cumulative effect um, how how great that's going to be well I'm not sure and I think if people were looking at getting chooks because they wanted to put chukpu onto their pastures well, there's more efficient ways to do that, um, you know, such as buying a truckload of chukpu. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to be uh, more of the way to go, but I wouldn't endorse that just because it's really um, the uh, the whole idea here is to try and get more species and more productivity per hectare on small farms. Yes. And, um, yeah, you certainly can do that with chickens. Uh, I guess the other thing is you do also have another revenue stream, so there's more money, and the chooks are on the pasture, uh, so they should, you know, they should pay for repair or um, enhancement as well. Yeah, 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 fantastic. So, with with where you're at now, you've had the journey: thirty chickens, then to eighty, then to a few hundred, and you've got uh, a few thousand now. Um, so, what's what are you what are you focusing on next? You talked about the sustainability of what you Tom can handle, but um where else do you see that the direction of your farm 
going, staying in congruent with um, your values of conservation and sustainable yeah. farming? Well, I've got, got, a lot of, got a lot of big ideas here, Daniel. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Which I'll probably never, ever get to and won't get done. But, um, yeah, so we're, we're navel-gazing a bit. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not so crazy. Um, we, we, I, I do like to do a bit of education. I think, um, I think that's, that's a really great place to look at on, on small farms that are picturesque, like ours is quite a beautiful place. Um, I think some yeah some some small kind of education or um, agritourism is probably a good bet for a, for a diversification again. Um, now that does take quite a lot of time, but that's again something you really could get someone else to um, to manage or even to you know to start up and run. Yeah, I think uh, our rural areas communities are suffering from you know a lack of um, local work. And so you're getting uh, getting other people onto farms doing things that are, you know they the people want to come because they want to see the chickens. Yeah. And so it is that nice relationship there where um, someone else might be able to um, yeah make a living out of um, the fact that we do have chickens and and have certain kind of ideals and values here. Yeah. Um. Uh, I I really like yabbies. I'd love to do something with yabbies. Okay. Because it feels like, I mean, it's difficult in Victoria. We've got some crazy uh, regulations here, but yeah, um, you know, yabbies are such incredible little creatures. Uh, I think mushrooms too. Once you start selling eggs to cafes, say, you really need to think to yourself, well, what else can I sell to these cafes? Yes. Because it's um, it's it's quite hard to sell. Say, let's not think about cafes anymore, but just a, a person you're trying to sell something to. It's quite hard to sell them, you know, twelve dozen eggs, but it is quite easy to sell them a dozen eggs, a you know, a, a whole chicken maybe, and um, some mushrooms, and kind of that diversifying and uh, um, diversifying your your products, so you you know you're catering for more of what your customer needs. I think is a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah you, composting you... again too. I, I'd like to do some really large farm scale composting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That that's one way you can yeah really grow soil faster. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and you know do a local service. So trying to get our, our food scraps from local businesses actually in back into the nutrient cycle rather than uh, going to landfill. We've got to do a lot more of that as a as a world. You know, it's a valuable stuff actually that we're just um, throwing away. Yeah, uh, I know another one of our, our clients um, just outside of Canberra, he told me some of the figures that some of the restaurants, um, like in, in kilos, in tonnes that they throw out, I don't know if it was a week or a month or something, and it was just staggering. Yeah, and, yeah it's crazy, isn't it? Um, yeah, unless you're in the catering industry, you don't realise how yeah. much they go through. And, and we've got another client that actually has a, a catering company and he was saying that, each week or day or something they produce like one and a half tons of like scraps like potato peels like carrot yeah. peels like just numbers you're like how, how many carrots do you have to peel to get a one ton of <laughs> of um carrot peels and, and he, in his operation actually is composted but so many aren't and i think yeah. as you said if if we can use the word collaboration actually yeah do that with different industries and farmers because there'd be someone saying, hey, I'm paying to dump this and you've got another farmer saying, 
I want yeah, some I want stuff. It. I, I want it, it to compost <laughs> it. Like, how yeah. do we get it from point A to point B and keep it sustainable? Yeah, that's it. Well, I guess that's the thing. Keep it local and, uh, you know, talk. you got to talk. Uh, talk to people, as many people as you can, find out where the where the action is. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something to look into. Like, we, you know, I, I worry about um, places that are I, – I feel like, you know, we – Phosphorus, let's just say, um, people, a lot of people, farmers do know, but a lot of people don't really know where it comes from. Um, they know we need it and we use it in our conventional kind of farming systems. Um, but, you know, it's a mind, uh, it's a mind resource. So it's a fossil resource, you could say. Yeah. Um, which means it's going to run out at some point. I mean, it's going to become. It's not going to become economic anymore to actually pull it out of the ground because it's it's, it's not in a high enough concentration. So, yeah. Um, what does the conventional system do when we don't have superphosphate anymore? Well, it's going to fall over pretty quick, or it's just going to become so expensive the food that we're producing in that system. So, um, yeah, transitioning to something that's uh, that is just more local in terms of inputs too is. Um, it's just so critical, I think, for the future. You know, I'm I'm 31. I'll probably see some huge changes in in this interest industry, and it's partly why I like doing what I do, is because it's just food is just going to be so incredibly uh, important in the future. We're going to have to produce more with a lot less. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's exciting. It's also pretty scary. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a fair bit of change, but yeah, so. Increasing productivity on small farms is 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 totally where it's at, and uh, chickens and cows do that in a really uh, synergistic, uh, great kind of relationship. That's really old too, you know. Um, herbivores have been around for a very long time, a lot yeah. longer than us. Yes, uh, they've been keeping this system running in grasslands all over the world. So we just got to be a bit clever and uh, make sure we let them do their job and help them too. And something else I want to jump back to when we're talking about collaboration is you, you were saying like it's a, it's a lot easier to sell someone one dozen eggs and twelve dozen eggs, and then yeah. after you've after you've got that customer, your mindset should be what else does that customer want? And I That's think it, yeah. and jump back to earlier on in the call where where we um um t- talked about layering farms, and I think that's where um. Yep. So, so many of those things come together right now when we go, okay, can we keep it local? Can we layer the farms? Can we keep conservation and farming side by side? And we can because yeah. you've, you, you've done it. Too. Yeah. 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 And, and once once we do have that customer that's buying one dozen eggs, um, that we can sell them beef or mushrooms or yabbies or honey and or other things. And, and yeah. that's yeah. what. The, the we'll sell them, sell yeah. them the tranquility of sitting next to the Yabby Dam, you know, and uh, and then coming yeah. home for a meal that night. So yeah, it's absolutely it's all about um, keeping farms small and uh, sustainable. It's all about leveraging all of the resources that you have and and in an as efficient a manner as you can. Um, and that's, I guess, that's the thing where the resources you have, if you if you don't have them as well. Like for for me, for instance, I don't really enjoy marketing. Um, I should have, you know, I should have found someone who really did, because uh, they're going to do a better job than me potentially too. So, yeah, it takes it takes a lot of people to um to keep uh to keep a, a a small farm or a small business 
um, up and running, or a regenerative farm certainly takes a lot more labour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about getting those resources where you need them and leveraging all the uh, all the the amazing things that you do have at your fingertips. That you know, we I think sometimes too the problem perhaps is just uh, working. And Joel Salton talks a bit about this is is working uh, in the business as as opposed to kind of working on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, stepping back from what you're doing and um, yeah, having a having another look at it. Uh, seeing where your time efficiencies are off, and um, you know, there's there's so much you can always do. Um, yeah, which is what keeps it interesting too. Yeah, yeah. But if you get if you get into that kind of routine, um, I mean, we've had a lot of a lot of chickens farms start up in Victoria recently, which is fantastic. They've all got really incredible. Um, uh, what do I want to say a really incredible passion, uh, and they're really excited, but it's um, it can be quite mundane too, you know, uh, collecting eggs every day, the routine. So um, yeah, you've really got to you've got to take a a long view and a step back from the business sometimes. Make sure you're leveraging all the uh, all the areas you can. Yeah, and also understanding why you're doing it, and it's it's different for yeah. everyone. You'll have someone goes, I want to make more money, and someone else goes, I want to actually bring manure to my farm in a profitable yeah, yeah. way like through the chickens or like I, I love the people that they want to they get into chickens because they want to show that their kids that there's a future in farming because similar story to exactly, you yeah. that they might might only be on say um 20 or 30 hectares and they're like well we're not going to make it out of beef farming but yeah. if we had a few well, hundred, hundred chickens hey we can show the kids that look there is a future and yeah and yeah. and there's so many reasons yeah. and chooks, i think chooks are a great uh they're a great gateway drug to sustainable agriculture yeah. <laughs> daniel <laughs> yeah there's <laughs> a there, good place to start yeah. there's definitely harder things like I, I i say to people like almost everyone eats eggs like if you're going to start in farming you could start growing beetroots or you could start with eggs like there's not yeah. too many um I love beetroot. Yeah, okay. Well, you love beetroot, but there's not yeah, too many totally things that, that eggs that you could go to, and it's like 97% of the population eat them. Yeah. Like, go yep. find a, a vegetable that's like that, maybe tomatoes. Like, I'm not sure. And then, hey, I've, I've yeah. worked on tomato farms. Go look at and the, it's, it's, the it's input fun. of tomatoes and then your, your lead time in that. So, yeah, it's yeah. a perfect little package too, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a dream really that the chickens just do so much good work for us. They give us this beautiful little uh, package that contains the food, the, the egg eggshell, and yeah. we just put it in containers basically and flog it. So, yeah. yes, it's, um, it is a great place to start. I think yeah. um, it, you just need to be a little bit careful, I'd say, to people um, about getting too big too quickly yeah um, there's quite a lot of uh there's quite a lot of work involved and it's um it's every day yeah and um i guess the other thing is that we are in the uh, natural environment so we we are going to be affected by things that someone with a, a shed full of chickens aren't going to be affected to so yeah the um, elements to work out what's going to happen actually in a in a 24 month period before you really ramp up i'd say yeah yeah well, excellent. Um, if you want to find out more about Tom's paddock, check out uh, his website or Facebook page. And Tom, because you said you're not heaps good at marketing, I'd love to send people to your website and Facebook page. 
And um, send Tom a message, say, hey, tell me when you're having your next field day. And that might just make Tom say, right, here's the day. <laughs> uh, you've got an incredible farm down there. And I would in- yeah. encourage people to see it. Like, um, Yeah, look, we, we, um, we love having people out here. It's a 100% transparency type farm. So um, come and have a look what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you, Daniel. It's a great opportunity to talk to people at large. And I love your work, obviously. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for the opportunity. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Green Grass Egg Farming Podcast. For transcripts and other free resources, please go to greengrasseggfarming.com.